So we are on our second superpower. Last week we talked about the superpower of high praise and uh, the need for us to uh, give praise to God, not because of what he's done for us. We sang songs today that, that were about what he's done for us. That's not high praise, that's praise. Um, what, we're, what we want to do today is learn how to give thanks, and thanks has to do with what he's done for us. Amen? But a, but a thankful heart is what we're going to talk about today because there is power in thank, thanksgiving that you don't recognize, uh, probably until you read some very good scriptures about that. There's extreme power in thanksgiving. Uh, it's amazing what a good, thankful heart can actually do for a person spiritually, and we'll talk about that. So we'll start with this sentence. A thankful heart is one of the most effective ways to improve and enhance your walk of faith. It is one of the most effective ways to do that, and your walk of faith literally can change if you'll be thankful. Now, a lot of people think that blessed people are thankful, and it's the other way around. Um, I heard a TED Talk by a, 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 a friar, <laughs> not, a, not like a cook friar, but a friar friar. He was wearing his friar frock and all that. And I can't remember his name, but he was from Scotland. And uh, his TED Talk was that thankful people actually are happier. It's not that happier people are thankful. And uh, it's really true. If you will find a way, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your emotions are, no matter what your uh, condition is to actually return thanks to God for whatever you can think of to thank him for. We'll go through the list here in a minute. Uh, but whatever you can thank him for, if you'll begin to do that, your walk of faith will be enhanced. It's literally like a power that can come over you, like a superpower. We use our, our analogy for this morning. So let me give you four big benefits, huge benefits to a thankful heart that are crystal clear in the scriptures. And then we're going to talk about what a real thankful, a genuine thankful heart is. Because there's, there's false thankfulness and there's real thankfulness. And God needs us to be really thankful and sincere in that. So, <clears throat> number one, a thankful heart opens the gates of, to God's praise or to God's presence. And we looked at that last week, so I'm just going to touch on this for one minute. Psalm 100 verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We talked about high praise last week and used this exact same verse. It's the entry point. It's how you get in. And by the way, when you go to God, unless you're Peter drowning in water, which can happen, by the way, spiritually, we can be drowning in something and need to cry out to God. Peter's got that really cool prayer in Matthew 14 where he's walking on the water. He's doing really good, by the way, walking on a, a rough sea. It's not calm. He's walking on a rough sea. Because God told him, he, Jesus told him he could, so he gets out of the boat, climbs out of the boat, does all this stuff that's against every bit of common sense and smartness and everything. But faith sometimes goes against all that. He walked on the water, then he got his eyes on the wind and the waves, not on Jesus, and began to sink. And he prayed that really awesome prayer. It's one of my favorite prayers. <laughs> Lord, save me. <laughs> Lord, help me. Right? Just a real simple, short deal. There was no praise involved. There was no adoration of who God is. There's no... You know, no King James opening prayer moment. You know, oh, great Father in heaven, thou art wonderful. Man, he would have been gurgling water by the time he did all that. So his deal was, help, right? Save me. So sometimes we need to pray like that because we have situations where life happens and it comes upon us where we have to just scream out to God in a panic help, right? But a lot of times when we go to God, we're not, a, we're not in an emergency. We're not in panic not drowning, we're in pain, we got complications happening, things that are upsetting us. But we could always start with prayer 
of thanksgiving and give him thanks for something. Open it with praise, high praise if you can, and then and then turn to thanksgiving, giving him thanks for things. Matter of fact, I'd love for somebody to turn, it's not in your notes, but turn to Psalm 103. How many of you love the Bible? You love the Word of God? I like, can't wait to read it, hear it. No, good. So Psalm 103, we sang this this morning. Listen, listen to the benefits that the psalmist says. Now, he's going to give thanks from his soul. This is the bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, right? My soul, not my spirit, not my emotions, not necessarily my mind, but I mean deep within me, Lord, I'm going to bless your name. Psalm 103. You see, you see the benefits? He just lists. He's like, bless the Lord, O my soul. And then he just lists these great benefits. This is a great passage to memorize. If you can just start memorizing some scripture, uh, I'd encourage you to memorize scripture to help you. This one's off the charts helpful um, to me. And uh, I was going to quote it, and then I, when I quote in public, I get all tang-tongled and mess things up really bad. And uh, so I'm going to let Kendall read that to you. But we need to learn to be thankful and bless him at the front end of a prayer, at the front end of a request to God. Give thanks because it opens the gates to his courts. Number two, a thankful heart builds healthy, good relationships. The Apostle Paul writes thanks to almost everybody he writes letters to. And he gives thanks to them in a way that's very powerful. When you read how Paul thanked the Thessalonians, uh, the Colossians, how he thanked them for what they were becoming and what they were doing. You can just feel relationship in that. I want to show you the one from Ephesians chapter 1. It's a long passage. That's, did we do all of it, 15 through 23? So let me, just, let me just read this to you and just listen to the relational side of this from Paul. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints. So he's got this connection where he's hearing about their love for all the saints. I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. So I'm praying to God, and what I'm telling God is, thank you so much for the people at Ephesus. Man, thank you for those people at Ephesus. He's got a relationship that's so strong with them. When he's praying to God, he's actually using them as a prayer of thanks. But I want you to see how the rest of the prayer goes because this prayer that's in Ephesians 1, if you'll put it in your, look at it in your Bibles, this prayer is a great prayer to pray over your brothers and sisters in the church family. If you want to pray something good for the people of Northside, for everybody that's here, just during the week, grab your church directory, flip open to the name, call out a name and pray this prayer over them. I do it all the time. I pray these words over you guys all the time. And it says, I, I give thanks to the Lord. Um, making mention of you in my prayers, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the, the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you'll know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of the inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of of his power toward us who believe. Paul's like, man, I just pray that for my, my friends at Ephesus, my friends at Northside. Would you just please, Lord, let them know the great, the surpassing greatness of your power and your authority. He, he just keeps on going. Uh, power toward those who believe. These are in accordance with the working and strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ. Now, we talk about this in our men's group all the time. When, when Paul mentions Christ, it's like his brain goes... And he's just a guy to go off from it and tell you all about that. So he mentions Christ and he says, 
Christ, when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above rulers and authority, power and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things. So Paul just talking all about Christ there, which is the body, that's our church, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And just can you just see yourself praying that over your family? You can take Ephesians 1. There's another great prayer in Ephesians 3. You can take Ephesians 1 or 3 and pray that over your family. Lord, enlighten the eyes, open the eyes of their heart um, to the truth, to the power, to the splendor, to the, to the riches and the depth of your glory and all that good stuff. So praise has a way of building relationships. There's a great picture of that in Luke chapter 17. If you want to turn there, Luke chapter 17 there are 10 lepers. Jesus, it says, was on his way in verse 11, 17, 11 of Luke. He was on his way to Jerusalem. He was passing between Samaria and Galilee. He entered a village and 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him. So there's 10 lepers that have to stand way off and shout who they are and what their disease is. It's all contagious, very dangerous, and they're all doomed to die. I mean, they're just scheduled to die. This is all that's going to happen to you now. You got something that's going to kill you. It's going to kill you slowly and painfully. And here they are in just this terrible condition, shouting to Jesus, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go show yourself to the priest. Now, he remember there was a leper in Mark chapter 1. Jesus went over and touched him, touched him, and healed him, right? Whole different scene this time. Jesus keeps his distance from these guys. And he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I don't think he did it with sort of a casual, but it just feels that way. He's like, just go show yourself to the priest. You know, y'all stay there. Go show yourself to the priest. Um, and and uh, as they were going, they were cleansed. So they weren't immediately cleansed because Jesus didn't touch them. The cleansing happens when they turned in obedience, right? When they follow his plan, there's this cleansing that happens to their physical bodies. It's very important. There's this cleansing that happens to their physical bodies. And they're walking away to the priest just like they were told to do, all ten of them. And there's this one. He's a Samaritan, by the way. I love the Samaritans. I was thinking about this in the shower this morning. Man, the Samaritans were cool people. The Samaritan was the guy that got down in the ditch and rescued the, the, the guy. You know, the Samaritan woman was the one that was a pain in the, you know, everything. And then all of a sudden, the Lord had to, you know, bring her to herself. And then she becomes this mighty missionary to Samaria. There's just some neat stories about them. Here's a Samaritan leper, right? He was a Samaritan. He turns back, verse 15. He saw he'd been healed. He turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. He fell on his face, giving thanks to Jesus. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten of you? Didn't I see a group of you guys? Where are the other nine? Where are the nine? Verse 18. Was no one found who, re who returned to give glory to God except this one foreigner, this one Samaritan? Is he the only guy? Now here's what Jesus says. Listen to the relationship that happens now. Because he was thankful, because he was thankful, there's a different relationship Jesus has with this one versus the nine. With those nine, they got physically healed. Great. Whole new life of being healed and cleansed, and the priest is going to get you back in the population eventually, and you're going to just be a normal person again. This guy is getting the cleansing and the healing, but now he's going to get eternal life. Because here's what Jesus says, uh, stand up and go, your faith has made you well. Well, what does faith heal? Your soul. Faith is, a, we're saved by grace through faith. And when this man offered thanks and told Jesus, he's in a whole other place with me. 
He didn't just need the cleansing. He wasn't looking for a Santa Claus gift. He wasn't looking for a vending machine that Mike could help. You know, Jesus going around doing great things, all these people, you know, running into him trying to make it happen. That's not this guy. This guy's like, whoa, I'm going to go back. Now, you got to know if, if, you know, two or three of them went back, you go, they went as a group. This guy had to leave the group. Like, man, he told us to go to the priest. He's like, no, no, I'm not doing that yet. I got to go tell that man, thank you so much. Now, here's another neat thing I want to talk about. When the leper turned around and he engaged Jesus, and Jesus took him to this whole other level, right? Took him to this whole other level of relationship. Jesus cleansed him of his sins now, not just his disease, right? Because he was thankful. So thankfulness has this relational power, and it has a special relational gift in heaven when we're thankful. Um, I think that helps us stay clean. It helps us stay more pure. But if you keep reading the story, number three in your notes here, it says, A thankful heart aligns us with our ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose of mankind. Why did God create Bill Griffin or Robert Davidson or Al Denny or any of us? Why did he create any of us? Anybody know? What's the, what's the purpose of your creation? To what? To serve God, but to... Yeah, the ultimate goal is to glorify God. We were created for His glory. Say that loud. We were created for His So your purpose in life is to give glory to God. Now, watch what Jesus says about this man. The man came back and physically fell down at Jesus' feet, Jesus' feet, and said, thanks. That's what he did. Thank you for cleansing and healing me. Thank you for healing me, right? He fell down at Jesus' feet. But Jesus says what he actually did. If you look in verse 17, Jesus says, Were there not ten? Where are the other nine? Was no one found returning giving glory to God? Was the man giving, when he was thanking Jesus at his feet? Now, it says he was giving glory to God on the way to Jesus. But when he's bowing at Jesus' feet, he's giving thanks to Jesus, the man, Jesus, that healed him. When we thank Jesus, we're glorifying God. That's what we're doing. When we thank Jesus properly, we're glorifying God. So this man was created by God to glorify him. He got leprosy. He, he asked Jesus for help. When Jesus helped him, he turned around and gave him thanks, and God goes, that's how you give glory to me right there. That's how God gets glory right there. When you give thanks, you offer glory up to God. And he did it by falling on his face for Jesus. And I would encourage you sometimes in your personal prayer life to, to use the on-your-face moment. It's not bad to pray prostrate, like down on your face. Um, to, to pray like that um, sort of honors God in a way. Now, I believe we can pray with our eyes open. We can pray with our heads lifted up. Um, I don't think you have to... Bow your heads and close. There's nowhere in the Bible, we don't know where in the Bible that you can retire. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, you know, bow your heads, close your eyes, let's pray. Jesus never said that, by the way. It's a thing we do. It keeps us from being distracted. I think it was a, you know, ADHD thing where we're, hey, we're way too distracted when we're trying to pray. So let's, let's, let's get it kind of in our zone, right? So you can pray in a lot of different positions, but I think one of the greatest ways to pray, especially prayers of Thanksgiving, is literally on your knees, on your face. And just telling God, I'm as low as I can go, but I'm telling you, you're as high as you can be. And you're as great as you can be because of all that you've done for me and all the praise that you've done for me. And there's good theology here. I was, Jay will probably hear this online, but <clears throat> Jay taught us uh, about who Jesus really is. Here's where Jesus and God are exactly the same. Jesus saying, when you give thanks to me right here on your feet in front of me, physical Jesus, uh, as I'm walking around 
the Middle East, when you give thanks to me, you're giving glory to God because we're the same, right? So when you honor Jesus with your words of thanksgiving, you glorify God. Number four, this is the really cool one. <clears throat> a thankful heart produces and promises holiness and obedience. Right? It helps us be obedient, and it actually produces holiness, holiness in us. Holiness means purity. You can be way more pure if you're thankful than if you're not thankful. Ungrateful people struggle with purity. Grateful people can have that. And it's in Ephesians chapter 5. It's in this weird little passage where it just kind of pops out. It takes a really good uh, moment of observation. I've been teaching when we teach our, our classes on Bible study methods, unlocking treasures. I teach on this, uh, how to not miss the really cool stuff. So listen to Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to start at verse 1 because there's a context here that's pretty neat. Uh, it's like overwhelming responsibility, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. So number 1, Paul says, I'd like you to imitate God. Well, that's a little hard. Paul, I don't know if you know, but God seems to be perfect. <laughs> He's He's like completely sinless. But Paul said, seriously, get a mindset that you're going to imitate God. How do I do that? Verse 2, I walk in love, agape. I show love and grace, agape love to everybody I can, just as Christ who loved you and gave himself up for you. So sacrificial love is one of those ways that we can imitate God. That's one of the ways we imitate God as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So it goes to God as a as an offering unto him, when you show sacrificial love to somebody. I was telling a buddy of mine yesterday, uh, I left my book bag that I took to the um, conference yesterday. I left it in the church van when I left here. We were in the van, and my wife, my wife pulled up to pick up Josh, and I noticed her tire was low, so I grabbed my pump and aired up her tire a little bit. And in doing that, I locked my book bag in the church van, and drove to the restaurant to meet a friend of mine to do some ministry with him. And when I got there, I realized my book bag's in the van, but so is my wallet. So I'm here, I'm at a restaurant with a good guy, and I'm going to buy him dinner, and I'm like, wow, this is going to be awkward. <laughs> He'd been waiting there like 25 minutes for me because we were running, I was running a little behind. So when I finally get there, I'm like, hey, I got one big favor to ask. Is there any way you can cover because I'll have my wallet I just felt really bad about that, right? But we got we got into a discussion at the end uh, as, as he was getting his change back. Hayden Cash was getting his change back. We got into this discussion about tips and uh, how to tip. And uh, and uh, I just told him, I said, you know, a long time ago, the Lord made me learn that tips are grace moments. It's a grace moment. It's a pl it's a place that you can show grace uh, in in everyday life. You can just show grace. And I'm like, the worse the waitress, the better the tip. I mean, his eyes are this big. He's like, what? And I'm like, think about it. He goes, but if they did, they don't deserve I'm like, that's, but grace is exactly that. When somebody doesn't deserve something and you give them something kindly, that's grace. That's what God does for me all the time. I don't deserve anything that I have. And he just lavishes me with good gifts, with good friends and good family and, and nice things. He lavishes it upon me, Right? So he's pouring out his grace on me, and I can live that grace out just like verse 1 says, or verse 2, I can walk in love like Christ. That's one of those little places where you do that. And he gave himself up for us, offering a sacrifice to God, and it was just a, it's a sweet aroma. By the way, when you give a nice tip to a waitress, especially a bad waitress, 
right? And you don't tell them up front, look, if you're really bad, I'm going to tip you really big. You don't do that. That's not a good idea. Okay? But, I mean, they may be having a terrible day. You never know what's going on in their world, right? And you might just be the, the moment of salvation for them where they get that big, they're like, man, I, I was terrible at that table. And this guy was, you know, this family was amazing to me. Wow, God, thanks so much for helping me get through today, right? You just never know. So here's what Paul says, though. Look at verse 3. But now this, is a, this is one of those terrible, I call them the dirty dozen, nasty nine, filthy five kind of deal. But immorality and impurity and greed must not even be named among you. So he's just going to start listing sinful things, really nasty, sinful things. Immorality of any kind, impurity of any kind, greed must not be named among you as is proper of saints. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk. Don't let your mouth say things it shouldn't say. Say filthy things. Say silly, foolish things that are harmful or hurtful is what it means. Or coarse jesting. Coarse jesting is a, is a word in the original that means um, don't say things that would uh, bother your godly grandmother. If your godly grandmother wouldn't want you to say it, don't say it. Right? I had a godly grandmother. I mean, my, my, my Rachel, uh, Rachel Maples was my grandmother. And uh, Grandma Maples, she was a sweet Christian lady. You just wouldn't say anything around her, anything that was even tainted the least bit with off-color, discolor, unhealthy anything. Because you just, I mean, you were like in the presence of like almost an angel at that point, right? So you're not supposed to, Paul's saying, here's the standard, right? Don't do any of that, right? Which are not fitting. And then he just, here's the end of the sentence. But give thanks. Wait, wait, wait. So, so don't be immoral. Give thanks. Right. Don't be impure. Give thanks. Right. Don't say bad things out of your mouth. Right. Give thanks. Paul's saying, here's the solution. Here's the solution to all of this struggle you're having with immorality, impurity, and greed. You've got to learn to give thanks. Right. And then he just gives the warning for this. You know that those who practice, be the literal translation, practice immoral or impure things, covetous things, who are idolaters in practice, um, they cannot inherit the kingdom of Christ and God. But we can combat fornication and impurity and immorality, which rampant. And we're at a men's conference yesterday. You know, one of the things they're going to talk about is, is the struggle with pornography that's out there. And it's everywhere now. I mean, it's just so easy for little children to access stuff that they should never see, right? And it just pops up all the time now. How do I combat that? Well, I combat that with thankfulness. I have to be thankful to God for the way that he's made me to overcome those things, for the gifts that he's given me to overcome those things. And we can literally become thankful for specific things that God tells us in his word or his solutions to all of those things, whether it's impurity or immorality. We can, we can combat fornication. We can combat uh, covetousness, my lust for things. We can combat foolishness. We talked about this at the men's conference yesterday about uh, wanting things that we you know, may not be healthy for us. And the way, you're, the way you solve that is you begin to be thankful for the things that God says you need or have. He gives you all that you need, so you learn to be thankful for what you have. When I was in uh, a church in Birmingham, the, I was in a small church up there for a number of years, seven, seven and a half years at, at Alliance Church. And a bunch of our Alliance people watch online, so hey to our old Alliance crowd. And then I was at, we moved to Shades Mountain Independent Church, a big church, and I became pastor on staff there. 
And I still lived in Eastlake, which was a long ways away. Um, tiny little house in Eastlake. And it was a hard drive. We had to take I-20, 2059 through what they call Malfunction Junction to I-65 to get off in Vestavia to there. And it was a terrifying ride almost every day. I mean, it's like NASCAR every day. Just a terrible deal. And at some point in the early years, my wife's, uh, my car went down, my wife's car went down, and then my pickup, had a 75 Ford F-150, and it died. Actually, the brakes on it messed up so bad I couldn't figure it out. Long story, some of you mechanic people, I'll tell you later how stupid I am, but <clears throat> you already know, but I'll tell you another story of how stupid I am. But, but it was, it, I just had nothing to drive now. I had no way to get to work, to church where I worked. And uh, Annette's at home raising uh, two boys and waiting on Mary to show up at some point. And, uh, and just the two were born. And then her dad had uh, an aneurysm in his brain. And she needed to go to North Carolina to see him. So we scraped every penny we had, literally every penny we had, and sort of emptied our account for her to be able to get on a plane with uh, Josh. And I think Caleb was in arm at the time. Um, so she's got little Caleb and Josh uh, sitting next to her. And I flew them to North Carolina because I needed to be at church. I needed to work that week. But I couldn't get there. Now, of all the weeks that it was, what week do you think God did all that? It was Thanksgiving, right? It was Thanksgiving. So during Thanksgiving week, like the Monday of that Thanksgiving, I put them on an airplane and sent my family away. And I'm at my house by myself with no transportation. And a buddy of mine from another from the other school, the church, uh, called me, Calvin, called me and said, hey, man, I got this old Toyota in the backyard. You're welcome to it. We don't ever drive it. I know why I don't ever drive it, by the way. <laughs> but he's got this old Toyota. I called it the 1908 Toyota because I think it was the first one maybe that they ever built. I think they were ahead of Henry Ford on building cars. Because that car was so old, it did not even have seat belts at all. There were no seat belts in the car at all. They weren't ever built into it, right? It, it had been wrecked in the back, and the trunk had, it was the little old Toyota with the little trunk, like a little hatch thing, and the trunk had been wrecked so it, it wouldn't close, it wouldn't stay closed no matter what you did. And it was long before anybody had been at bungee cords and all that. So while you're going down the road, the trunk's just going kabam, 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 kabam. The whole time you hear this thump, 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 thump. And at 40 miles an hour, when we finally, we finally got it running, we had to go get out of leaves and weeds and vines all grown up through it and all that and clean it off. But when we finally got it running, I had to call him on the way home. I was like, man, are you sure this thing's safe? Oh, yeah, man, it's great. We've been, we used it for years. I'm like, but at 40 miles an hour, it feels like it's going to shake your teeth out. And I mean, it literally is everything on it shaking, and you're trying to hold it on the road. You're like, whoa. And I've got to get on the interstate with this thing's on. You sure? He goes, oh, yeah, it's great. It'll, it'll be fine. I'm like, so those aren't bearings coming apart? No, no, no. We don't know what's causing all that, but it's fine. You'll be fine. All right? Now, I mean, it was literally like being in the top of an agitator of a washing machine when you go down the road. Now, I'm trying to get to church, trying to get to church to serve God, right? Because I'm a pastor. And I'm in this car, and I'm just mad. I'm just going, this is horrible. What are you doing to me, you know? And I'm mad, mad, mad. All week long, I'm mad. My family's gone. You know, I'm eating ramen noodles and beanie weenies was my thing I lived on back in those days. You know, sometimes just beanies, not weenies. And kind of deal, because we're just, I mean, we spent everything to get her there. I can't afford to fix the car. Even if I had the money, I couldn't fix the truck now. 
you know, I don't know how to fix the car. I mean, it's just, oh, I'm just dying. And my brother Lynn called. And my brother Lynn passed away a few years ago. Some of y'all remember him. Some of y'all know him more, better than others. But uh, he called during Thanksgiving week. Say, hey, how's it going, brother? Now, my brother Lynn never lacked for anything financially, okay? Not for anything financially. He was driving at that time the latest, greatest uh, Ford Explorer you could get, striped to his favorite color. He always put his truck back in the shop to get it striped to his favorite colors, right? I can't even afford to fix my car. And he, my brother had a phone in his car. This is back in the 80s. He had a phone in his car. He could pick up a phone and call people, you know? And he'd hand it to you and you could call people. That was weird back then. It was, now it's common. But back then, that was really weird. I mean, he's doing great financially. He's just knocking it dead, whatever business, you know, all the industrial stuff he's selling or whatever. So he calls me and asks me, how's it going? And he can hear a tone in my voice that's not healthy. And he knows what I do for a living. I mean, he knows I'm a pastor. And he's like, really? You know and so He goes, man, you don't sound good. You sound stressed. I'm like, this is a whole, I'm having a horrible week, man. And I just complain one, after, one thing after another. And here's what he said to me. And it made me so mad, I literally told him I had to go and because I didn't have the I didn't have the meanness to hang up on him. I just said, I have to go. All right, I got somebody I got to go. I'll call you later. But here's what he said. Stan, you need to be thankful. What? <laughs> like, are you out of your mind? Well, if I was riding around in an air-conditioned truck with a phone in the car, you know, that actually could do 60 miles an hour, I might be thankful. <laughs> but I'm not. You know, I'm, I got this piece of... Mm, you know, and I mean, I am miserable in this car, miserable in this car. By the way, we, Josh was in a uh, car seat at the time, or uh, Caleb was in his little car seat at the time. When, when Annette and them got back, we put him in the car seat. It was the old metal car seats with the metal feet. I don't remember those. Some of you ladies remember those. The, the car seat was metal and plastic, not like anything like the cool ones they have today. Just metal and plastic. I don't know how we survived all that. But if you put Josh in the back seat of this little Toyota, there's no seat belt. So when you go around a corner, he'd slide to the other side. And then he'd slide back to the other side. You know, it's like, hey, there go our kids. Yeah, there he goes the other way. That was just the way that car worked. It was really something. I don't know how we survived it. But here's what the Lord began to tell me when I got home. After having that conversation with my brother and went to work and I got home. I'm all by myself in the house. And I'm just miserable. Eating beanie weenies. And the Lord said, you know, you really, he's right. You need to be thankful. I got thankful. And I'm telling you, I was in a bitter rough spiritual valley. I mean, I was hurting over everything, you know, and I'm working at this church, SMI, God love it. I've loved all my years there. But it's a white collar church, so everybody there is doing fine. They're going to have this incredible Thanksgiving with all this family and all this food, and I'm going to eat, you know, the last can of ramen noodles for Thanksgiving dinner, you know, and praying for my wife, going to see her dad in the hospital and all that kind of stuff. And then the Lord said, well, seriously, you need to get thankful. And so, I took on the, the, the week as a fast and said, I'm going to figure out how to be thankful. And I said, Lord, what do you want me to be thankful for? I was mad. What do you want me to be thankful for? And I'm thinking he's going to go, you have two beautiful children. You have a magnificent wife. You know, you have a nice little house, tiny little house, but it's nice. Our house was awesome. I love that house. Right? You have a nice yard. No, you know what he said? For the Toyota. The What? The Toyota. And the Lord's like, you wouldn't go to work. If Calvin hadn't loaned you the Toyota, you wouldn't be going to work. They would be considering firing you. Now we'd be in a different place. You can't get there. You can't work there, right? Even a church, you got to get there, right? So what are you going to do? 
And I'm like, so you want me to be thankful for that? Yeah, every time you get in it. Okay, Lord. And I mean, it was hard. And I had to practice. I had to make myself get in that car. I'd be driving along when it starts shaking it every time, 40 miles an hour. Hard as it shake. And I'd say, Lord, thank you so much for this car. I did it every day, four or five days in a row, every day. And by the third day, my heart began to say, really am thankful for this car. I, you know, I, I wouldn't be at work. I, there would be issues with my work. And the people that pay my paycheck at work would be going, hey, if you don't come in, you can't get paid. You got to you gotta get these youth activities going. You got to help the college group. You got to do all this stuff. And I began to be thankful for real. Hey, this is the way to get to work. And then I was like, I have a friend who just gave me a car out of his backyard. And he's paying the insurance on it. He's just like, yeah, man, just take it and go. By the way, I got great gas mileage. I don't know how. It was a God car. So I got great compared to my truck and my Mustang. It got great gas mileage. Great gas mileage. I was like, man, this thing goes forever on like four gallons. That's awesome. But God put all that in my life. You know why? So I would be thankful. And I had to learn to be thankful to overcome all this sin and impurity that was in me. I had to literally start speaking thanks out loud about things that I didn't even think I should be thankful for. And I'm telling you, there's a power in thanksgiving that's huge for us. And we have to learn to do that. So you can overcome all that. You can overcome bad. If you have bad language issues, <clears throat> you know, cussing and fussing and bickering and all that kind of stuff, you need to get thankful about things. And you need to speak thanks out loud about things that are related to those things that you're cussing and fussing about. And God will give you that. So let's talk about six Keys to genuine thankfulness, real fast. It's real simple. Psalm 100, verse 2, 1 and 2, says, Shout joyfully to the Lord. Come before him with joyful singing. Joyfulness. So uh, we have to be cheerful when we talk to God and praise him. Genuine thanks is cheerful. It's happy. It's not bitter like I was. That's not the real deal. God had to create that in over time, the Holy Spirit had to grow me into cheerfulness of being thankful. You have to give thanks with an attitude of cheerfulness. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, Some people are so afraid of joy that one might suppose them to labor under the delusion that all who are devout must also be very unhappy. You know, I've been in those churches where it looks like everybody here has been sucking sour lemons and we're just as unhappy as we can be, but man, we love God. No, we're supposed to be happy about loving God, right? You're supposed to have some joy. Spurgeon says, man, don't, don't be under the delusion that devoutness means you're unhappy. So we have to learn to laugh at ourselves. I love this little story. A little girl was sitting on her grandfather's lap as he read a good night story to her. And uh, from time to time, she would reach up while he's reading the book. She would take her eyes off the book, and she'd reach up and rub his cheeks, just both cheeks. And she was like, wow. And eventually, <clears throat> she, as she gets more thoughtful, she would begin to rub her cheeks. Then she would touch her own cheeks. And finally, uh, she said, uh, Grandpa, did God make you? And she's rubbing his cheek, and yes, sweetheart, um, he did. God made me a very long time ago. And then she rubbed her cheek. She said, well, did God make me? He said, yeah, baby, she, he made you just a little while ago. And she touched his face and then her own again, and she said, he's getting a lot better at this, isn't he? <laughs> so I love this. Love that story. He's getting a lot better at this. Sometimes we just got to learn to laugh at stuff, though. I, I think about all the things I was telling the men at the mission uh, Friday morning. You know, just doofy things we do sometimes. Just as a pastor, I just do the dumbest things sometimes. And you just have to learn to go, God, I know you know how stupid I am. 
And you let you you know you probably called the angels over going, hey, watch this idiot do this. This is going to be good. We're going to have to fix it all in a minute, but watch it. You know, it's just just dumb things that we do. But the second thing we have to do is be not just cheerful but grateful. Really grateful. Thanksgiving has to, at the core of it, it has to do with gratefulness. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, Psalm 107. It's a beautiful passage, by the way. I'd love for you to, to study this on your own this week. Psalm 107 is phenomenal because it, I've preached on it a long time ago, but it speaks of all the different conditions we can get in uh, when we're away from the God. Um, it starts by saying, Psalm 107, verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed say so, um, whom He's redeemed from the hand of the adversary, verse 2. Um, and then verse 4 says, They wandered in the wilderness, right? And they were hungry. So some people have a, a life that's hungry, and they wander in wildernesses, and their souls faint. Then they cried out to the Lord in their troubles, he delivered them, and it says, let them also have thanks for them. And then verse 7, where we are, 6, they cried out to the Lord in their troubles. He delivered them out of their distress. He led them by straight way to go to an inhabited city. So he gave those that were wandering a city to live in. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and his wonders to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and hunger, and he's filled them with goodness. If you look at verse 10, there were those who dwell in darkness. It's not going to be any notes, but verse 10 of Psalm 107, people that were dwelling in darkness in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery, it says. Um, they had rebelled against the words of God. And then it says, verse 13, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. And then it repeats the little line that it says, uh, let... Let them give thanks, verse 15, to the Lord for his loving kindness. Each section of this psalm has some way that we've messed up and done foolish things. And then it says, and we cried out to God in our distress, and he delivered us. Aren't you glad he delivered you today? I mean, seriously. Think about the path you would be on had he never delivered you from the darkness you were in, the misery you were in, the wilderness you were wandering in, the desert you were in, the, the place of hunger. Think about all the... The, the bad things that would have happened if God hadn't delivered you. We cried out to him and he delivered us. So we give thanks and we have a, a truly grateful heart. A truly grateful heart. We have to know the condition we were in, by the way. Psalms teaches that. We have to know where we came from and uh, know, know what happened. Our Thanksgiving has to be really grateful. Um, when the, our kids were small, we lived in that little East Lake community, we would ride our bikes around the, the, the block, and there was a really steep hill. It was a lot of fun to go down real fast. Some kid had wiped out on that, about a five-year-old kid, and we found him in a wreck all piled up. So my two boys and I took him back to his home. We found out where he lived and walked him up to his home. He's bleeding everywhere, his legs, his elbows, his head, and he's hurting real bad. He's crying. So we just, you know, I scooped him up, you know, like a good dad, and take him to his home, knocked on the door, you know, and... The guy that came to the door took him away from me and fussed at him. What have you done now? You know, it broke my heart. And then he shut the door. I'm just standing there going, well, his bike is, we'll go get it. So when he got his bike and brought his bike back to the front porch for him. But it was interesting because I was like, that guy didn't even recognize what had just happened. His son was dead, was hurt around the block. Not even going to come home, by the way. He wasn't getting up or anything. He was hurt, hurt. Right? And somebody scooped up his son and delivered him back and said, here. 
You know, here he is. He's he's with you now. He, you can take care of him. He didn't recognize that at all. Just our first year of marriage, uh, Nat and I lived in Inslee. I said that at the Mission mission of Hope, and some of the guys in Birmingham went, ooh. I said, yeah, that's the kind of town it was. We lived in Inslee, but one of the one of the places that we would go to is a place called Western Hills Mall, and we would just go walk the mall and look around and love to just look at all those, you know, Sears and all of those stores that were there, JCPenney, whatever was there. And we were wandering around, and on this one aisle, there's this little girl, couldn't have been three, four years old. She's four years old, just standing there by herself. And we, we kind of were looking at some dishes or whatever, and then we moved to another aisle, and I look back, and I'm like, there's no adults with that girl at all, none. So we kind of noted that, and I said, well, you, will you go back around and just talk to her and see where her family is? And, you know, Annette did a great job of connecting with the little girl, and she, she doesn't know where they are. She doesn't have a clue, right? They had want, she had wandered away from her family. She's lost. So we find a store. I'll go find a store clerk and tell them what's happening. You know, back then it wasn't some big emergency thing. It was just a notification over there. Hey, you know, somebody's lost a child kind of thing. And and uh, I think one of the security guys from the mall showed up, you know, at the same little area we were at. And we just kind of waited there for these two young parents to come around the corner panicked. You know, like, <gasps> you know, they run up. But I'm telling you, after they hugged their child and loved on their child, not scolded, but hugged and loved on their child, then they hugged and loved on us with gratefulness. Like, a lot of bad things could have just happened. Like, we could have just taken the child out the back door. There wouldn't have been anything for us to walk away with that child, right? That could have been a whole different day for that family, and they recognized it, and they were extremely grateful. And it built relationship with us. All of a sudden, you're going, you know, oh, we love you too. You're so wonderful. Your kids are wonderful. You know, we don't even know you, but it was awesome to know you. But it was, it was this moment where they just had this heart of gratefulness because they knew what could have happened. Just remember what could have happened to you, where you could be today, where you could be without the Lord's help, right? So Thanksgiving has to be grateful. Number three, it has to be genuine. And to be genuine Thanksgiving, it has to be public and corporate. Psalm 35, verse 18, I will give thanks in the great congregation. I will praise you among mighty throngs. So we have to be not afraid to say thanks out loud. Thanks out loud. We need to tell people out loud that we're thankful to, to God for what he's done for us. And you need to find, by the way, this text also says you need to find groups of people you can hang out with that give thanks, right? So we need to give, th our thanks should be public and corporate. Number four, thanks should be shared with all generations. Um, so we, your people, and the, we are the, Psalm 79, we, your people, and the sheep of your pasture will give thanks to you forever to all generations. We will tell your praise. Now, I've got a sweet little five-month-old grandson, and I'm going to tell you every chance I get to talk to him, I'm going to tell him how cool God is for what he's done for me. Every chance I get to talk to him. I don't ever want him to not know what we're thankful for. And he's a big part of what we're thankful for, but there's 10,000 other things. We sang them all this morning and talked about it all day. There's a lot of things you can tell people you're thankful for and, and express to them, and all generations need that. Oh, Lord, mercy. Our next generation desperately needs to know what God's done for us. We've got to talk more about that. Our generation has to talk more about it publicly, say more about it publicly, and tell that next generation, right? And then number five, uh, it includes singing and praises and speaking to one another in praises. Genuine thanksgiving means you're going to sing it 
and speak it. And you go, well, I don't sing very good. That's okay. That's why we play our music loud here. So you don't, we don't have to hear you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we, we literally just want you to sing praises. And you don't have to be with us, by the way. You can do it at your house. You can do it while you're mowing the grass. You can do it while you're just wandering around. I'll, it, it never gets out of my head. When I think of Robert E. Cochran, one of my greatest heroes of all times that was at this church, I hear him when he was up here helping do things. I hear him whistling hymns out back, just wandering around the building. He'd whistle hymns to himself. And then I hear him singing the modern stuff we would do. He loved the song, There Is None Like You. He loved that song. And he would just walk around the building singing, There is none like you, in his beautiful voice. I just love that. Because he's just worshiping God while he's walking around, right? You, we're supposed to do that, speaking to one another in praises like that. And it ministered to me, um, sort of a different dialogue and language when we're spirit-filled, according to Ephesians. There's this language and dialogue that we're supposed to have with one another that says, hey, I can speak songs to you and you get it. I can sing songs with you and you get it and I get it. And our spirits are filled up with that. Number six. Genuine thanksgiving tells everyone the work of God. Psalm 105, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among, one translation says, all the peoples. Not just the Jewish peoples. Not just the Hebrew peoples. All the peoples. All generations, all nations should know his deeds among you. How are they going to know that? You have to say it out loud. You have to speak it out loud. You have to give thanks to the Lord. So I'm just going to ask you this morning, what are you thankful for? Are you thankful for water? We die without it, by the way. You thankful for water? I've been to countries where water was not easy to get. We had to walk forever in Angle Talk to go get that water. I don't remember how far that journey was, but it was forever to go get water and bring it back. And then we still had to filter it. We had, are you thankful that you can actually physically walk? That you actually got up this morning, you put your feet on the floor, and you can physically walk? Are you thankful for a soft bed, for clothes, for snacks? We have snacks in our country. We don't just have food. I've been to countries where you just have food. It's just food. It's time to eat. You're going to eat food. We have snacks. Our house is filled with snacks. We have little bags of snacks everywhere. I got Oreos at home on my counter as we speak. I'm thinking of them right now. Can't wait to get there. Oreos. Are you thankful for snacks? That's awesome, by the way. You can be thankful for snacks. You know? I'm not, just gravy. Man, you can put gravy on stuff. This is awesome. Isn't gravy, gravy's awesome, isn't it? Right? I'm a big fan of gravy. Thankful <laughs> for laughter. I was just making myself laugh thinking about gravy. So, But just, just the smiles that we have with one another. I, I love it when you guys come to church. and you. Just, a lot of times we just smile right there in the doorway when we see each other. I'm like, man, Lord, that's so awesome. As a church that we connect like that. For air conditioning, hey, it's 100 million outside. I'm thankful for some air conditioning, right? Some of us have vehicles that are struggling with air conditioning. I know what you're, I know what you're talking about, right? And if you walk into a room full of air, you go, hey, Lord, thank you so much for the air conditioning. Thank, but what about, our, what about the other stuff? What about our salvation? What about the fact that you're not going to go to hell? If you've trusted Christ your Savior, you're not going to end up in hell. Hell is no longer on your future agendas. Because of your salvation and the plan of redemption that God called you out of. And he gave you abundant life to get you there. I'm going to ask you, does your next door neighbor know that God saved you and gave you all this cool stuff and made you whole? Does your next door neighbor know you're thankful for your snacks or gravy? 
I mean, do they know anything you're thankful for? Or they see a person that comes and goes and, you know, slams doors here and there and, you know, waves occasionally. Is that your neighbor? I don't know my neighbor. But do they really know? See, you have a chance to speak to the nations, the guy across the street, the guy next door to you. You have a chance to tell them what you're thankful for and inspire them. Genuine thanksgiving offers you access to God, produces holiness, and aligns you with God's purposes in life. It does. Here's a really deep quote I want to end with. We're going to sing one song of thanksgiving as we close. The band wants to go ahead and get up there. We can do that. William Law, a theologian from the 1800s, 1700s, said, If anyone would tell you the shortest and surest way to all happiness, he must tell you to make it a rule to yourself to thank and praise God for everything that happens to you. For it is certain that whatever seem, seeming calamity happens to you, if you thank and praise God for it, you turn it into a blessing. He says, look, if you, if you have a calamity and you thank and praise God for it, it turns into a blessing. Could you therefore work miracles? Could you do more for yourself than by this thankful spirit? For it heals with a word speaking and turns all that it touches into happiness. And I promise you, when we get genuinely thankful about things, it turns hard things into happiness. It makes your heart way lighter and your spirit way lighter. Amen?